you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 10 this morning. We're going to be talking about putting our love into action. And I think it's interesting that on a uh, Sunday when we are going to be talking about this, that we have so many different things going on that are opportunities for us to do just that. Uh, we didn't plan it this way. It's another example of how Dan and I have often talked how God makes us look a little smarter than we are as he lines things up. And uh, it just happened all the fall today on this particular text where the Life Care Center was going to be here this morning to share about the baby bottle collection and how you could help with supporting that. And then the missions team asked if they could do the mission potluck and prayer time today. And then uh, MEC had planned and wanted to do the program. And I thought how great this is because all three of those are different ways that we can be involved in putting our love into action in the world. So let me read this passage for us this morning and we'll pray and then we'll dig into the text. Romans 13 verses 8 to 10. The scripture says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we talk about putting our love into action, Would you help us to see that and understand from your word how important it is and how indeed love is the fulfillment of what you intended in the law? Would you help us to see how we can use our gifts in a way that can contribute to that? That there is a plan and a place for each one of us to be involved in your great program to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And there are things that each of us can do according to the gifts that we have been given. And Father, may we use those fully for you. So that in that day when we stand before your throne and give an account for our life, that there would be joy and not shame. That there would be a sense of significance to what we have done by your grace. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to think back with me over the last couple chapters of Romans. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? We've been talking about that in chapters 12 and 13. Uh, It was interesting, uh, Ron and Michelle Backus came to me, and they're in a small group that's been studying uh, uh, Chip Ingram's uh, program called R12 Discipleship. I hadn't even heard about that, but he takes Romans chapter 12 and lays that out in terms of what it means to be a disciple, and it's just so rich, it's so good. When we talk about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, according to Romans 12, for example, it means that we have settled the question of lordship, that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. We have come to the point in our life where we recognize that, we believe in Jesus, and we have trusted in Him for our salvation. And we have now chosen to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That that's what identifies us. That's what gives our life meaning and significance. You know, we, we look at that as our identity first. 
You know, we're not a, a banker or a businessman or a teacher or a farmer or whatever we are first. We are a Christian first. We are a child of God. And so being a Christian then affects everything that we do. And we take Christ with us into the marketplace where we live and work or where we go to school or study or our relationships because we have chosen to live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we are using our gifts to serve others for God's glory. We recognize that these talents, abilities, privileges, education opportunities, all of those kind of things have come for a reason in our life. And there's no one quite like you in terms of your makeup and gifting and experiences that are fitted to reach a certain group of people that God has brought you into contact with. And so we think as Christians about how can we then use our gifts to be able to reach others for the sake of the gospel because we love them and we want them to know Christ too. And we see in the Scripture that we are called to love one another. Not only within the body of Christ to love one another, but we are even to love our enemies, those who would oppose us, those who would persecute Christians even, or those who simply don't understand and are skeptical of the gospel. God calls us to love. Well, at the time that the New Testament was written, this was a remarkable thing that was beginning to happen across the Roman Empire. The world at that time was held together by this military might and power of Rome, but it was fractured and divided. It was divided by race, it was divided by nationalities, it was divided by language, it was divided by class in terms of slave and free, Uh, it was divided by gender in terms of great distinctions between what men and women could do at that time and how they were treated. And these were deep divisions between people, and because of that, they didn't mix together very well. But as the years went by and Christianity began to spread across the Mediterranean world, the world witnessed something unheard of before that time. Listen to how Alexander McLaren described it. Alexander McLaren is a a Scottish preacher who said that what happened in that period was that barbarian and Scythian, bond and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, learned and ignorant, clasped hands and sat together at one table and felt themselves all one in Christ Jesus. And they were ready to break all other bonds and to yield to the uniting forces that streamed out from His cross. There had never been anything like it. It was that the disciples were obeying this new commandment of Jesus to love one another, and a new thing had come into the world. A community held together by love and not by geographical accidents or linguistic affinities or the iron fetters of the conqueror. They were united by love because of Christ. That is still a remarkable thing in our world. When you think of the differences that still exist in our world between nationalities and ethnic groups and differences of uh, where people live and work and their socioeconomic background and all of that, wherever the gospel goes and people are united together with that kind of kindred spirit and fellowship, it is a remarkable thing. And when you have tasted that, It's such an amazing thing to experience 
in our life. You see, we will have the greatest impact on the world around us when the preaching of the gospel is combined with love and action. And people see the reality of that love lived out. Let me say that again, because I think if you get this one statement, you will get the heart of what this message is about. That we will have the greatest impact on the world around us when our preaching of the gospel is combined with love and action. It's not one or the other. It is both that are needed. And in chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, Paul returns to this theme of love. And what does he say about it? Well, he begins by telling us, first of all, that love is the one debt that we will never fully pay. Look again at verse 8. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Now I know that Christian financial planners sometimes quote this verse to say that a Christian shouldn't have any debt. You know, it comes up in that kind of context, especially if they are quoting the King James Version which says, Oh, no man anything. But that's not the primary purpose of this verse. It's not specifically a word about financial planning or how to use your money. It has application there, but that's not the primary purpose, nor is it entirely accurate to say that a Christian should never have any debt. Otherwise, Jesus himself would not have said in Matthew 5.42 that we are to give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. There is a time and a place to lend or to borrow and to be involved in that. But the Scripture is indeed very cautious about it. That if you take out a mortgage, for example, on your home, you need to be able to pay the monthly payments. We live in a world where right now we are seeing what happens when those basic guidelines aren't followed. Or we've seen what happens when circumstances change in a person's life and they find themselves facing foreclosure. And we could talk about that more, but again, that's not the primary focus of this message. And so I'm going to leave that for our classes on stewardship or the Financial Peace University to help with that issue. Instead, what Paul is emphasizing in this passage is that love is an ongoing obligation for the believer at all times and in all places. We are called to love. Love is the one debt we will never fully repay. And how could we? When you think of what Christ has done for us, when you think of all that God has given to us in Christ and how much He loves us and how much He has blessed us with life and health and strength and gifts and friendship and opportunities and even more than all of that with the wonderful gift of salvation and all that is to come. How could we ever repay that? We can't. We can't. But it should motivate us to live our lives fully for Him. The Bible says that we love because He first loved us. Our love is a response to His great love for us. And He is beginning to change our heart in the way that we look at the world. Now that doesn't mean that loving our neighbor is going to be easy or that it doesn't take work. No, there are other things that we may love too that also take some work and effort on our part. 
For example, uh, this past weekend, I've been out working in our garden, and I love gardening. It's still that part of of me that uh, grew up on a farm and enjoys watching things grow. And so I was out there this weekend, you know, kind of tilling up the garden, and I love even the richness of the soil and seeing that and the smell of working in a garden and all those kind of things that were part of my life as a kid. I love the fruit of a garden. I love the produce it produces and being able to go out there and pick lettuce or tomatoes or peas or raspberries or those kinds of things. But, as you know, a garden doesn't just happen on its own. You can love doing that, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to do some work, too. And it also takes some thought and care about when to plant and keeping it clean and weeded and tilled and all of those kind of things that go into raising a crop, if you will. And there may be days when you don't especially feel like it or where I don't have the energy to do all of that. And yet there is still a work to be done. And sometimes you do need a day of rest, a Sabbath. And I think that's why God planned it that way, so that we can recharge ourselves for the work ahead. But the same thing is also true with love. We know we are called to love one another and to love our neighbors as ourselves, but that doesn't mean that it just happens or that it doesn't take work. Love also requires thoughtfulness and care on our part. It takes work to have a healthy church. It takes work to maintain relationships and to make sure that things are okay. Sometimes there are misunderstandings. Sometimes there are hurts. And all of those things need to be worked through. Sometimes people are hesitant to admit their needs and so people can't come and help them because they haven't opened up and built those relationships to share. Good communication is a part of healthy, loving relationships. But the Bible calls us to that, and it tells us that in the body of Christ, our relationship should be marked by that quality of love that Jesus also has for us. And Paul goes on to say that that kind of love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You know, as I was studying this passage this week, I think I'm beginning to understand that more than I ever did before. How love is the fulfillment of the law. And if you have wrestled with that before, I hope that what I say today may explain it to you in a way that's clear or helps you to get it too. You see, when we think about the law, the goal of the law was to help us live in a right relationship with God and with one another. It was a schoolmaster, if you will, to point us to Christ. It showed us how far we fell short of God's standards, but it was also instructive. It was intended to show us how we should live, what it means to worship God and to love Him, and what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. And when you looked at the Ten Commandments, for example, there were two tablets of the law. And the first tablet dealt with our relationship with God. And it said things like, We shall have no other gods before Him. We are not to make any idols. We should have no idols in our life. We are not to misuse God's name or take it in vain. We are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. All those things were part of our relationship with God as we grow in that relationship with Him. And the second tablet dealt with our relationships with one another. And it said things like, We are to honor our father and mother. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to murder. We're not to steal. We're not to bear false witness. We are not to covet. 
And those things, again, were instructive, showing us what it means to be a good neighbor, if you will. Well, Paul here, in this passage, quotes from the second tablet of the law that deals with our relationships with one another. And he quotes Jesus' summation of the law when he says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Look at it again at verse 9. He said, The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, when we love as God intends, we fulfill the law to its highest measure. We fill it to the brim, if you will. Romans 8.4 talked about how those who live in the Spirit fulfill what the law required of them. Those who live and walk under the guidance of the Holy Spirit will do what the law asks of us. Because the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 and 23 are things like love and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. And all of those things against which there is no law to prohibit us from ever doing that. But what happened over time is that by the time of Jesus, people began to reduce the law and look at the commandments very narrowly. And so they would say things like, well, I've never murdered anybody, therefore I must be keeping the law. Or I've never actually committed adultery, so therefore I must be okay. And it was Jesus who in the Sermon on the Mount expanded that to show us that the law is bigger than just one narrow prohibition. The whole book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament does this too. It takes the Ten Commandments and it lays them out and it gives long descriptions of what would be included under each one of the commandments if you study that book. And you'll see how it expands it in a social awareness or a social consciousness. Now let me give you an example of what that would be like and kind of rephrase these commandments in a way that I think is entirely appropriate to show us how love is the fulfillment of the law. One example would be to say that love is committed to the sanctity of marriage. The commandment to not commit adultery doesn't mean just don't cheat on your wife or don't cheat on your husband. It is much broader than that. It is concerned about building healthy marriages and families. Christ-centered marriages and families. Love says that if there's a problem in my marriage, I will work at that. Because I want my marriage to be the best that it can be and to honor Jesus Christ in my home. Love says if you are not married, I will wait until marriage before I experience the intimacy and the joy of a sexual relationship. And love says I am not only concerned about my own marriage, but I'm concerned about your marriage too. And so if your marriage is good and strong and growing, I rejoice with you in that. If your marriage is struggling, I want to help you. That's why we as a church you know, offer things like premarital counseling or, or uh, classes like the marriage dynamic to help marriages get off to a good start and to be growing and strong and to understand the things that contribute to that kind of healthy relationship. 
It's why we as a church and as family celebrate anniversaries and we rejoice in that. And it's why we grieve when there is a divorce or we see the hurts that happen. Love is committed to the sanctity of marriage. It's more than just saying, don't commit adultery. Love is also committed to the sanctity of life. The commandment, do not murder, is not fulfilled if you have simply refrained or restrained yourself from killing someone. You know, I mean, think about that. That's almost laughable if at the end of the day you thought, well, I didn't kill anybody today. I guess I'm doing okay. You maybe felt like it. You know, you maybe had some struggles along the way, but you just didn't do it. No, that's not at all what the commandment is about. Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart, you need to deal with that too because that's in the same line as murder. He talked about how we do need to love one another and watch our words and watch what we do in our actions. If you looked at the Old Testament, for example, in those days when they had their flat roof kind of houses, love meant if you had a patio up there, you put a railing around it so that somebody wouldn't fall off the roof of your house if you were up there. It's like in our homes. If we're building a deck and that deck is off the ground high enough, you put a railing around that so somebody doesn't fall off of your deck. Love says that uh, if it's in the winter and you need to shovel your sidewalk, you go out and you shovel your sidewalk so somebody doesn't slip on it because that is the loving thing to do. Love says if you're the captain of a ship like Richard Phillips who was in the news a couple weeks ago and got captured by pirates, you give yourself up to save your crew. Love says if you are in an unplanned pregnancy, you have your baby, or you give it up for adoption, because that's the loving thing to do. And I think of the testimony we saw a few months ago when Carol Ann in a video testimony shared how when she was young she had an unplanned pregnancy, and there was pressure for her to have an abortion. And she chose not to do that and to carry that baby full term. And when we all know Leanne and what a beautiful young woman she is with a family of her own, that's what love is. That's what love does when you look at these kind of instructions that are given in the Scripture. Today, you can put your love in action by helping to support the Life Care Center and the ministry that they have to women facing an unplanned pregnancy. You can help today to rescue and turn around lives that are in trouble by supporting the work of MEC, Missionary Evangelism to Corrections. You know, I think of a few weeks ago when we got this phone call at church from a man who a year ago had accepted Christ in prison because someone from our church went into the jail and shared the gospel with him. When I heard that story, it reminded me of the story that Jesus told about the ten lepers that he met who came to him wanting to be healed and how he healed them and he gave them instructions to go and show themselves to the priest to demonstrate that they had been healed. And out of that group, one man returned to Jesus to say thank you. But only one returned. And he said, weren't there nine others that were healed? 
And he said to that man, Go, that his faith had made him well. You know, I think of this man who called back to say thank you. I think he's going to do well. I think he's going to make it. Because there was such a significant change in his heart that he remembered it a year later and wanted to say thank you when he got out of prison. Love goes into jails to help people to find Christ or to demonstrate the love of Christ. Paul goes on here to say that love does no harm to its neighbor. You know, I think about the commandments that were given, do not steal or don't covet. You could summarize it in this way by saying that love respects other people's property. Love looks out for your neighbor. You know, when he's on vacation, you take care of things or you look out for that. Or when you notice something that seems amiss in the neighborhood, you report that. You are concerned not just about your own property and about what's within the borders of your land, but you care about what happens to your neighbor too. Let me apply it to the youth center. It's maybe our, our kids and some of the kids that use that in a balancing way here. You know, in the youth center, love doesn't walk on the furniture. Love doesn't trash the place or trash the property that's there. Love respects other people's property and respects the people who have given donations to build that place to be a place where youth can meet. And on the other side, you know that for those who work there and adults who are leaders, love also understands that there are youth in our community that are still just growing up and learning all of these things. And there are some kids in our community that don't understand boundaries very well and they maybe don't have that kind of home where love and discipline has been a regular part of their life to understand it. And so love is patient and kind. And love considers that in the way that it treats those who come because they need to see our love and our heart and our concern for them. And it's always a balance between those kinds of things, isn't it? If we're an employee... Love is not stealing from your employer. Love is putting in a full day's work. Love is being honest on your expense report. And if you're an employer, love is paying your employees fairly or providing a workplace that is safe and enjoyable or love is being an encourager to your employees. When I think about the commandment to not covet, Love shares with others from what it has. I mean, out of the abundance of what we have been given, we give and we share. And many of us have so much more than we need. You know, that maybe the best thing we could do today would be to go home and to clean out our closet and bring some of that into the sharing shop. Because there are others who could benefit from that. I think of a story that uh, Steve Wheeler shared with uh, me about now, he had been traveling recently in the Philippines and then he was visiting some of the churches in Japan and places like that. And he told a story again about what happened in Myanmar when there was this severe flooding in that southern part of the country and the government refused to let people come in to help. But Christians were able to get aid in through some of the pastors and churches there. And the Christians in that area, out of what little they had, they gave. 
And they gave food and they helped others to survive during that difficult time. But when government aid came in and there were others who were Buddhist in background, received that aid, if Christians came needing help, they pushed them out. And they said, no, get out of here. And the people noticed the difference. And they said, why did those Christians give out of the little that they have? It's because of Christ. And it is because that's what love does. Love is giving to the food shelf not what is old or what you don't want out of your cupboard. Love is giving what you would like if you were on the receiving end. Love is helping someone to have reliable transportation to get to work. You know, I I love hearing the stories of people that have been helped through the car care ministry. And there was one man whose name is Don who received a, a car, a Mercury Sable that was given and fixed up. And he wrote back a thank you and he said, I have four sons. I'm a single dad, single parent dad. I have four sons. And I want to thank you for the gift of this car that allows me to get to work so I can keep a job to support my family. That's what love does. And for the guys who work in that ministry and are working on those cars and fixing them up, what a blessing that is to hear the stories of how God is using that in people's lives. And sometimes when people pick up those cars, there are just tears, you know, that that come as they think you hear somebody who cares about them that much that wants to help. There are many ways that we can and are putting our love into action, both as a church and as individuals. I've mentioned a few this morning, but there are others. But the few I mentioned are things like the Life Care Center or Missionary Evangelism to Corrections, or the Youth Center or Sharing Shop, or the Food Shelf or the Car Care Ministry. But we also have people who volunteer in the Stephen Ministry or who go on mission trips. All of those are ways that we can put our love into action and Many of you, many of you are involved in several of those kind of ministries, and I thank you for that. But there are also the opportunities that come even in our neighborhood, in our place of work, with those that we see and know. So the question I ask you is, what does God want you to do? How will you use your gifts for God's glory? I believe that God wants all of us in our church to be involved in worship, that He wants us to be involved in a growth group where we are learning and growing in our relationship with Christ and that He wants us to be using our gifts in service. John wrote these words that are appropriate for us as well. 1 John 3.18 He said, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the ways that you have already used so many people in our church in these different areas of ministry. And Father, we are glad to do it. It is a joy to participate with you in bringing the good news to people who need to hear about Christ and to let them know how much you love them and care for them. But Lord, if there are opportunities that we have been missing or things that you want us to do, help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit today. And to give as you have given to us and to be a blessing to others and to use our gifts in a way that honors you. Would you show each one of us what it is that you want us to do this morning? We pray in your name. Amen.